Thanks. Say good morning, everybody. Peace the Lord be with you. All right. Yeah, we need some peace right now. Everything, summer is all coming to a close and fall is all firing up and peace. Ah, we like, we like peace. Well, we got a lot to cover today. Speaking of peace, we got a lot to cover today. Let's go. So, uh, so we're going to be diving right in. If you have a Bible, let's turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, um, while you're turning there, let me say a couple things. The first I want to say is if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one today. How do we know that God loves us, that he's jealous for us in some of these things? We know because the, the scripture says so. If you don't have a Bible telling you those great things um, and some things that aren't so great about you, but you need to hear them, um, the Bible's got them. We have a stack of Bibles right back there. Feel free to, feel free to take one home uh, as, a, as a gift to you. All right, well, those of you who are just joining us, uh, this is... Um, part four of a series that we began uh, several weeks ago, and the series is called It Takes a Lot of Faith. And what we looked at in week one of the series was why it takes faith to be an atheist. Uh, An atheist is a person who believes there's no God, and in week one of the series, we talked about why it takes a lot of faith to believe there's no God. In week two of the series, we talked about why it takes a lot of faith to be an agnostic. An agnostic says there might be a God, there might not be a God, I'm not going to commit to either position. Two weeks ago, we talked, or in week two, we talked about why it takes a lot of faith to stay there. Then in week three, we talked about why it takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible is just another book. And we're going to basically continue that discussion today. Let's, let's review real quick, though, get a running start at it. Some things that we did look at uh, last week when it came to the Bible. It takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible is another book. For one, the Bible's been printed four to five billion times more than any other book. Let's sink in for a second. Four to five billion times more than any other book that's ever been written. In addition to that, it's been translated into 2,000 more languages than any other book. That's considerable. Here's a couple other things about the Bible. This is just a quick review from, from last time. And this is one of the things that, that as a former skeptic myself, this was, this was significant to me. That the Bible isn't just what one person says God says. It isn't what two people says God says. It isn't what one small group of people says God says. Look at what's true of the Bible. It provides this unparalleled, multi-voiced testimony. It contains testimonies from 40 authors. You've got kings, shepherds, fishermen, military leaders, prophets, a physician, a tax collector, a former persecutor, former persecutor of the Christian faith. And uh, I have one of Jesus' brothers up here. If Jude was also a brother of Jesus, which someone was saying, that makes two, two of Jesus' brothers. Um, were uh, included, uh, their testimonies are included in the Bible. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span in times of war and peace in palaces palaces and dungeons. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It has origins in three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It has been vetted through decades and decades and decades of testimonials and debates. And it's been verified through centuries of rigorous study and archaeological discoveries. The Bible provides a unique unique, unique witness. Now, it was interesting. We, I, I got a lot of feedback from uh, the series. And it was great. Thank you for sending the emails. Uh, Emmy Bonkowski sent me an email. She's got a two-year-old. And she said it was kind of funny. They were going, she, uh, taking, they were, she was taking her two-year-old to, to go to the potty. And so they grabbed a little book. And, uh, and so Emmy said, hey, you can take a, a, your book with you if you want. And little Brianna holding her book, she says, this isn't a book. It's a Bible. Isn't that profound? Not just a book, it's a Bible. Now, in a room this size, um, 
it's uh, very, very likely that a lot of you are, are, are not to the place where you're saying, okay, I'm ready to accept that the Bible is, is really somehow how God's, God's word. But there's a whole lot of folks in this room, probably most of us, who, who would say, you know, it is a book like no other book. The passage that I asked you to turn to earlier out of 1 Timothy, um, here's what it says, or 2 Timothy, chapter 3, uh, 16 and 17. Here's, here's what that passage says, and there's so many of us who believe this to be true. All Scripture, meaning the words contained in, in, in this book, this holy book, all Scripture, it is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. There are those of us who believe that to be true. And so much so that we're going to order our entire lives around this book. We have so much faith in this book that we're going to say yes to things we otherwise wouldn't say yes to because this book tells us to. And there's things that we say no to that we would otherwise say yes to because this book says so. There's some of us who'd be willing to die to uphold the truths we believe written in that book. So we're putting a lot of faith, aren't we, in a book. There's a lot of us putting a lot of faith in this book. And here's the question I want to wrestle with today. Um, does, it, does it take faith to believe that the Bible has been changed? There's a lot of people out there saying it has. There's a lot of people out there saying, you fool. You fool. Why would you put your faith in a book that's obviously been changed? You know, there are people who say this. There are people who say that it's like that telephone game that people used to play where you start on one side of the room and you whisper, elephants wear pink pajamas in one person's ear, and then they whisper that supposedly the same thing. By the end, it's something about eating pink llamas or something, you know, that, that it changes over time. Some people say, that's what happened with the Bible. Everybody knows that. The Bible got Chuck Norris-ized. You know Chuck Norris? This action figure guy who, um, who over time became more and more legendary. Right? Some people say the Bible's like that. that. That when David battled Goliath, you know, it, over time it got bigger and bigger and the giant got bigger and David got smaller. It's, it's like that. It's like Chuck Norris. Here's some stuff about Chuck Norris. I'm seeing some blank faces. You don't know about Chuck Norris? <laughs> oh, Chuck, here's Chuck Norris. Here's a fact about Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris had a steering contest with the sun and won. That's Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was bitten by a cobra. And after five agonizing days, the cobra drew, drew its last breath. Fact about Chuck Norris, when the boogeyman goes to sleep at night, he checks his closet for who? <laughs> Chuck Norris. All right? All right, fact. If paper beats rock, rock beats scissors, and scissors beats paper, what beats all three at the same time? Roundhouse kick from Chuck Norris. We got one more. If Superman and the Flash were to race to the edge of the universe, to the edge of space, you know who would win? Chuck Norris. So some people say that. Some say the Bible got Chuck Norris did, did. You know, that, that there was truth, but then over time it just got bigger and bigger and pretty soon you got talking donkeys and you got people rising from the dead and you got all this. There's some people that say that. If you believe that, if you're putting faith in what those people have told you, you just need to know the evidence doesn't support what you believe. And we'll look at that in a little bit. So some people say that. Some people say the Bible got Chuck Norrisized. Here's what some other people say. The other people say the Bible got black helicoptered. There was a conspiracy. And in the Middle Ages, there were these people. And what they did is, is they picked the documents that, that supported what they wanted to say. And they changed things so that they could stay in power. Right? There's some people that, 
that say that. In fact, there's some people that sell a lot of books saying things like that. You need to know, if you believe that rumor, the evidence doesn't support you, what you believe. And we're going to look at that today. It takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible was changed over time. I've said there's evidence. Well, let's, let's talk about a little of the evidence. And let's start with this. There's a place to write this in your notes, and I encourage you to do that. Here's one category of evidence that we're going to look at real briefly here today. And that is the manuscript evidence. So I'd encourage you to write this down. Manuscript evidence continues to verify that the ancient testimonies were accurately passed down from generation to generation. Let me say that again. Manuscript evidence continues to verify that the ancient testimonies were accurately passed down from generation to generation. Do we have any copies of the original books of the Bible? Do we have any originals? We don't have any originals of the original books of the Bible. Like that the authors themselves. We don't have any we don't have any manuscript from Mark. We have copies of copies. We don't have any manuscript from Luke. We have copies of copies. We don't have any original manuscripts from any of the original books of the Bible. We have copies of copies. Well, how do we know? that these copies are accurate. How do we know this? Well, we, we know in part because of the manuscript evidence. With ancient documents, there's very, very, very few ancient originals out there. Very, very few. Surprisingly few. Here's, here's some examples of, of what we're talking about. How many of you have heard of Aristotle before? Anyone ever heard of Aristotle? How many of you have studied Aristotle before? How many had to write a paper you didn't want to write about Aristotle before? All right. Okay. Aristotle. Now, in, in, in university schools all across the world, we're taught Aristotle's words. But we don't have Aristotle's original words written by Aristotle himself. We have copies. And as, as far as I can find in my research this week, we have five copies of, of things that, 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 that Aristotle said that go, that go way back. So what I have on this table here represented are, with a sheet of paper are the, the five copies. This is how many manuscripts we have. None of them are originals, but we have copies. We have five copies of things Aristotle said. And if I had to write a paper right now about what Aristotle said, it would look a lot like this. I, I don't remember anything about Aristotle, but that's him. Okay, so Aristotle, this guy who we, we quote and we, we, we learn about and we study, we only have five copies, none of the originals. We have, we have five copies of that, okay? This person known worldwide. All right, next we have Plato, not Plato. That's a totally different thing. You could make Plato, Plato out of Plato, I suppose. But um, it, with his writings, how many had to write a report or read something about Plato? Okay. We don't have any of his originals either. But we assume that we know what he said on the basis of these copies. And, and from the research I looked at, there, we've got seven ancient copies of things that he wrote. Now, um, we jump up to a guy named Homer. He wrote this thing called the Iliad. Uh, there's 643 copies, ancient copies of that. We don't have any of the originals, but we have copies. And so we have 643. Now, when it comes to the Bible, it's in a category that's a little different than all the rest. While we don't have the originals, what we do is we've got 24,000 ancient documents and pieces of ancient documents that verify the original. Some of them are whole Bibles. Some of them are the New Testament, some of them are Old Testament, some of them are just little little pieces of papyrus that they, they, they discovered. But when they put all these together, there's, there's an estimate of 24,000 of these out there that, that verify um, the, the originals. Now, let's, let's talk about why that's helpful. That's a good thing. In fact, I'd never thought of this really before this week, but this is, I would, I would argue, this is better than having one original. 
And let's, 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 ex- let's explain why. Okay, so for this, for this to, to demonstrate this, I need some kids to come up and help. Can we get some kids to come on up and help? And then uh, Rebecca and Tim, can you come and work your magic on helping me pass some of this stuff out too? Are they still in here? There they are. Okay, can you, here you go. Take one of these and one of the markers. If you are a writer, take a clipboard with a paper. If you're a writer and a reader, you can take one of these clipboards and one of the markers. Rebecca can hand them out to you there as well. If you're not a reader or writer, that's fine. You can just stand right up here. Okay, so if you're a reader or a writer, I want you to grab one of these, and then there's a marker down there. And if you're not a reader or a writer, that's okay. You can come right up here. Just stand right up with the rest of us. We will need you to. Now, here's what we're going to do. You guys have a really important job, all right? And there's a prize, by the way, on the line if you're on the fence about this. All right, and you can stay right up here. Stay right up here, okay? Here's what we need you to do. Now, what we have, like what I've just been talking about with the grown-ups, is we've got copies of an original I'm going to hand an original to Rebecca, and she's not going to show it to all the grown-ups out there and all the teenagers out there. She's not going to show it to them. She's only going to show the original to you guys. And what I want you to do is to go over there and look at that original, all right? And then you write down what it says and get it right. Because if you can correctly take that information and share it with them, and they can, they can figure out what is on the original, then you get your prize, okay? So... That sounds kind of confusing. There's a reason why I'm in here and I'm not out there with the kids. All right, so here's what you need to do. Copy what she's got on her paper, okay? Copy what she's got and do it right. Copy it right, okay? Get the right words. It doesn't have to look like hers, but get the right words or the right letters, okay? So write down what she's got and she's not going to show it to any of the grown-ups. And grown-ups, you are going to figure out what's on here, what's on the original on the basis of copies, all right? Once you have it, you can put your pen back where the pens go. You can put your clipboard back where the clipboards go. And then take your paper out there, out into the world, okay? You guys got it? And if, you don't, if you're not a writer, that's fine. You can just take your blank paper. That's fine. All right, everybody got it? Now we need you to spread out here once you get it. Very good. Okay, if you got it, you can turn in your markers, turn your clipboards, and then take your white paper and go stand out there in the crowd, all right? And hold it up. Hold up what you wrote, okay? So go out there. This is a verse for the, from the Bible. Easiest verse to memorize, John eleven thirty five. 35. Maybe in confirmation, if you had to ever memorize a verse, go to John eleven thirty five. 35. Okay, now, you guys all holding it up? There are witnesses. There are scribes. They, they copied the original, and they brought it out for the world to see. Now, without looking at Rebecca's original, those of you out there, what do you think her original says? How did you know that? How did you know that? You never saw the original. How did all of you know that? They all say the same thing. What does the original say? Jesus wept. Yeah, you did it. There's a prize waiting for you guys right back there. Follow Miss Laura and Miss Natalie right back there. They've got a prize bucket. You can pick a prize. All right. Thank you so much. Kids, you did a super job. All right. Let's talk about this thing that we, we just did. You never saw the original. You never saw the original. What you saw were copies. And some of them, maybe a letter got flipped. Some of them, it was a you know, good effort. But by looking at the manuscripts that were out there, by looking at the evidence, you were confidently able to say, I know what the original said. Now, multiply that times 24,000. Again, not entire copies. We don't have 24,000 ancient copies of the Bible. But we have... Some entire copies of the Bible. We have some of the Old Testament, some of the New Testament, and some, some of us have seen the Dead Sea Scrolls when they came. There's, there's, there's 
I've seen with my own eyes some of these ancient documents, and they match them up. And by doing that, they're able to say, here's what the originals, here's what the originals said. Now, let me show you how this works in, in real time. If you have your Bibles, this is interesting. Uh, open up to John chapter 5, verse 3. Let me show you one example. I can give you a bunch of examples of this, but let me just give you one. One example of how this helps us. How this helps us know that the, that the words we have today can be traced all the way back to the original. Here's an example of, of why we can, we can know that we've got accurate text. Um, this is John, and this is just something that happened to me. I was reading through John. And I came to chapter 5, and there's this, this account that's going on of, of some people who are in, in tough shape, and they're, they're, they're sitting by this water that they think they can get healed in in a certain situation. And so I'm reading this. I come to, to verse 3, and it says this. In these, meaning this area around this pool, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And then it jumps to verse 5. It goes from 3 to 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And I'm looking at this, I'm going, is this just me or did they skip four? How many of your Bibles did they skip four? A lot of your Bibles, okay? And so, naturally the thought that came to mind is conspiracy right there. There, there must be something in verse four that those middle-aged people, they cut out because they didn't want us to know the truth about Jesus. No, that's not what, what, what I thought. I thought, where's verse four? And so this is one of the reasons why it's helpful to have what's called a study Bible. They have these, these tools that they can help with some of these things. And again, are the study notes as accurate as the Bible itself? No, it's their commentary. It's their ideas about, about it, but, but it can be a very helpful tool. So I look down in my notes. What's the deal with verse 4? And, and here's what they have. There's, there's what verse 4 says. They, they have a verse 4. And it says this, that waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down to a, at a certain season into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first at the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease they had. So that's what verse 4 says. Why wasn't verse 4 included in the Bible that we have? Because they looked at the evidence, and the early manuscripts didn't have verse 4, and it appears in the later manuscripts. So when they compare 24,000 different pieces of evidence, you can see when someone adds something or when there appears to have been some mistake because you have this wealth of reference points to, to be able to compare it to. Here's a, here's a quote that, that, that I hope you find helpful because some of you might be getting a little freaked out right now. You're going, wait a minute. I was taught that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and I was taught that it was the original manuscripts that were inspired word of God, and you're telling me we don't have those original manuscripts. We only have copies of those. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to freak out. Um, consider what this guy says. He says, historically, the church's doctrine of Scripture has almost always stressed that it is only the contents of the original manuscripts that are authoritative, inspired, or inerrant. For whatever reason, God did not see fit to ensure that the original manuscripts were inerrantly preserved. Nevertheless... Our ability to reconstruct what the originals look like is exceedingly high. The contents of 97 to 99% of the text are certain beyond any reasonable doubt. Far better than any other document of the same age. Furthermore, and this is so important, furthermore, no doctrine of the Christian faith hangs on any disputed texts. We have 
texts like you know some of these where they have a verse four that doesn't seem to match up with the rest, but we don't have these 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 these. 24,000 documents saying radically different things about who Jesus was or that he, he rose from the dead, these types of things. That stuff all is in alignment. That, that stuff agrees. And it was interesting, too, as I was doing my study, I came across um, in one of my sources that they said there's these folks that are known as the church fathers, the, the early church fathers, people that were, were, were influential in, um, in a period of Christianity when Christianity was being persecuted, but they were showing remarkable leadership in the 2nd century, 3rd century. So this is really old. These folks quoted from what we now call the Bible so much that you can, you can piece together the entire New Testament with the exception of 11 verses just from their writings. Did you catch that? They held what we hold today as the Bible. They held that so holy that they quoted it so much that just without any of these 24,000 documents, just using their sermons, just using their writings... You can put together every verse of the New Testament except 11 verses just from their writings about the Bible. Wow. Now here's why, arguably, this is by God's design. That arguably by design, rather than having one glowing book that was entrusted to one person, God did it this way. This, this guy says it better than me, so here, here's, a, here's a quote. Skeptics may ask, and, and this makes sense, skeptics may say, if the New Testament really is the word of God, then why didn't God preserve the original? Now, we don't know that he didn't. We might just find it later. But why did God preserve the original? We can only speculate here. But one possibility is because his word might be, what does it say? Better protected through copies than through the original documents. How so? If the original were in someone's possession, that person could change it. But if there are copies spread all over the ancient world, there is no way for one scribe or one priest or one council or one group to alter the word of God. The process of comparing these 24,000 different manuscripts and pieces of manuscripts, it allows changes to be identified and corrected rather easily. So ironically, not having the originals may preserve God's word better than not having them. Interesting. So how do we know? How do we know that the Bible didn't get Chuck Norris or black helicoptered over the years? Because we have these 24,000 different copies and pieces that we can look at and say, no, this one doesn't match up. This one doesn't match up. This one seems to match up. Okay, so that's just one category, one category of evidence. Let's look at another category. We don't have a lot of time, so we'll do this one real quick. But I encourage you to write it down. It's an important category, and that's the category of archaeology. Archaeological evidence continues to verify that the ancient testimonies were carefully passed down from generation to generation. We don't just have the, the manuscript evidence. We also have the evidence of archaeology. Now, again, we could spend a, more than a... We could spend years looking at all of the different... Archaeological finds that support the scriptures. Let me give you just one quick example. Not necessarily the best. It's just one that I came across um, not long ago when I was reading my scriptures. This comes out of Deuteronomy 27, verses 4 through 6. I'm just reading along, and it says, When you have crossed over the Jordan, and this is ancient stuff. This is people of Israel entering the promised land time. When you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today at Mount Ebal. There you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, 
You shall, and this is important, you shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord, your God of what? Uncut stones. Guess what they found on Mount Ebal? An altar of uncut stones. And not only that, it wasn't just an altar with this worship site of uncut stones. Not only was it there, they found pottery that they can link to the people of Israel. This is the type of thing they find over and over and over again. The Bible puts itself in a historical context. Context. The Bible is very specific on dates. The, very, the Bible is very specific on people. The, very, the Bible is very specific on places. The, very, the Bible is very specific on world events. And time and time and time again, as archaeologists are doing their thing, they're finding all this evidence to support that those facts were right on. So why does it take a lot of faith to believe the Bible has changed over time? Because every time they find these archaeological finds... They continue to verify over and over again. These guys are telling the truth. Here's how one person puts it. He says this. He says, it, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever flipped a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. Why does it take a lot of faith to believe the Bible has changed over time? Because you have to reject the evidence, the hard evidence, and go with what the person is, is saying. All right, before we take a moment to apply this to our lives, let's look at one more category real quickly, one more category of evidence, and that is the nature of the testimonies themselves. The nature of the testimonies themselves. The nature of the testimonies verify that the ancient accounts were carefully passed down from generation to generation. Many sections of the Bible claim to be, to be saying, hey, this is eyewitness stuff. Not all of them, but many of them say, this is eyewitness. Here's one example of the Bible saying, hey, you know, this is one of the authors saying, I saw this. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, one of the, 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 the sections of the Bible that skeptics have really zeroed in on to say, come on, guys, you're putting your faith in that book. It, it contradicts itself. How, how can you put your faith in something and say it's God's word if it contradicts, contradicts itself? So skeptics in particular, they'll look at um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they'll say, look at the resurrection of accounts, something this important. This is Jesus rising from the dead. They don't all agree on the details. And that's what they'll say. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating to look at it through a legal lens. Fascinating to look at that through a legal lens. If you had three witnesses... If you have three witnesses and you're a judge and all three witnesses are describing what they witnessed exactly the same way as a judge, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, oh, these guys are accurate. They've got it down. Is that what you're thinking? Nope. A judge is thinking collusion. A, a judge is thinking they got together and they made sure they all had their story straight. Because in, in, in true life witnessing, you have what's called coherence and dissimilarity. That you have coherence on the big things. They agree on the big things. But on the details, different people will bring up different details. They'll remember it slightly different. Main thing they got, details are, are different. 
One of the marks of authentic testimony is whether or not separate witnesses tell the same basic story while some simultaneously including divergent details. It's interesting uh, on this, at this point to, to note that Bible skeptics, they often want it both ways. For example, when it comes to the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, some skeptics say, oh, these three Gospels are too similar to be independent sources. Yet at the same time, they claim these three Gospels are too divergent to be telling the truth. There are those who, who know their legal world who say this is exactly what you would see if you had three witnesses trying to describe or accurately pass along what they heard. Here's what one guy, um, a Harvard Law guy, uh, says. Simon Greenleaf, Harvard Law professor, who wrote the standard study on what constitutes legal evidence. He credited his own conversion to Christianity as having come from his careful examination of the gospel witness. If anyone knew the characteristics of genuine eyewitness testimony, it was Greenleaf. He concluded the four gospels would have been received in evidence in any court of justice without the slightest hesitation. And, that, and that's just one comment we could make about the quality of the, the evidence that we, that we have, the quality of the testimony. Let me quickly throw 10 of them out there. Any one of these 10 we could spend a year talking about. Why do the Bible's testimonies appear reliable? One, we've got the eyewitness testimony that was within 30 years of Jesus' life. Why does that matter? If the testimony comes really late, they could be making stuff up. If it's only been 30 years and they're saying, you know what happened down the street over there? The people could say, no, that didn't happen. They can't say it didn't happen because it did. We've got eyewitness that, that counts very, very early. Number two, we have testimonies from multiple independent sources. Number three, Several witnesses refuse to recant their testimony under threat of death. Number four, the testimonies include events and details that paint an embarrassing portrait of the heroes. If someone made up the story of stories of David, they're not going to include certain things that we don't talk about with the kids in the room, right? About David's life. A man after God's own heart, he did what? Some of the most epic fails in all of history are included in the Bible. If, if, if someone made this up, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, they're not going to make it up that, that one of his 12 disciples betrayed him. There's all of these things that you could go on and on and on about things that you would not expect to see in the Scripture, and which then leads us to number five. Why do the Bible's testimonies appear reliable? Number five, testimonies include events and details that paint an unexpected portrait of God. Today, we sing God is a God of love, and we've heard that before. Back then, a lot of folks didn't have that understanding. There's, there's all kinds of things like that, that you just unexpected things of, about God. Number six, New Testament writers record miracles in simple, unembellished accounts. On the back of your notes, just for fun, I included one of the, the quote gospels that never made it into the Bible. And just so you can see some of the difference with your own eyes, what we have here in on the back, we have a, a section out of Matthew 28. This is an account of the resurrection. And then we have this account from the, the Gospel of Peter, which is not something that ever was included in the Bible. And it's just interesting to compare the two. And in, in the Gospel of Peter, you've got this walking, talking cross, and, and you have these people with their heads that stretched up to the heavens. You have all of these things that you don't find in the, the, the Bible's accounts. You would expect to see the embellished stuff. You would expect to see a cross coming and saying, 
you know, this and that. But you don't find that. You find it appears to be written like, okay, here's what we saw. It doesn't make sense, but here's what we saw. Uh, number seven, New Testament writers include events related to the resurrection they would not have invented. Number eight, the New Testament writers reframed their long-held sacred paradigms. Number nine, we have supporting evidence from archaeology. And number ten, I love this one, we have supporting evidence from opponents of the movement. That, when they look back at the ancient documents, this is really fun. In fact, let's put up this next list. All of these things, we're going to put 11 things up on the screen here. All 11 of these things you can find in the Bible, but all 11 of these things are things you find in sources outside of the Bible, ancient sources, including some people who were hostile to Christianity, verifying truths about the Bible. And look what they verify. They verify. These are, all of these are from, from sources outside of, of the Bible. You can find confirmation that Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, that, that there was a guy named Jesus who lived when the Bible says he lived. You can also find people saying he lived a virtuous life. He was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Those are significant things. Significant things verified outside the Bible. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. Number eight, darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. People were writing that down. People outside the Bible saying this. Some of them hostile to Christianity. Number 10, Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. And this number 11 is so important. So important. Number 11, his disciples denied Roman gods and worshipped Jesus as God. That one is huge because so many of these rumors about people redoing the Bible later, so many of the rumors consist of them saying, no, Jesus was just a guy, really good teacher. He was just a guy. They didn't worship him as God. He was just a guy who got Chuck Norris over time. Here you have people outside of the Bible saying they were worshiping this guy as God. Why does it take a lot of faith to believe the Bible has changed over time? Because you have to listen to somebody and you have to reject the evidence. For those of you who, as you read your Bible, those of you who are in the Word, and those of you who continue to come across passages that are hard, and you're like, really, God? Wow. And then you'll have that passage jump off and it'll speak to you. And, and, and out of God's Word, He'll ask you to do something really difficult you can at least have confidence knowing this is the real stuff. This isn't something that was changed. This isn't something that was added over time. For those of you also who find it so hard to believe, if there is a God, how? That song they're singing about, he's jealous for us. How could he be jealous over me? How could he, how could he die for me? That maybe has to have been something that was exaggerated. Mm -mm. That good news is good news. That good news is good news. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to explore that testimony. For those of us who, who've, who've read it before, let's, let's recommit to get back into it. And those of you who've never read it before, read it. Don't just listen to what people say about it. Don't just give it a, a light once over. The, I've mentioned this before. Jesus himself, in these accurate words that were passed down, Jesus himself said, you know, he didn't say the you know part. But, 
But Jesus himself said, you are going to be more convinced about the reality of God through these words than you are if you saw someone rise from the dead with your own eyes. That's how amazing this book is. Does it contain crazy stuff? Absolutely. There's a donkey that talks. There, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. There's waters apart. Stuff that we've never seen. And that's part of why they wrote these things down. There's these testimonies of these people that are saying, this was crazy to us too. We didn't understand it. Here, I'll tell you, we missed it. When Jesus said this, we were like, what are you talking about? You know, he, to, to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. They're putting it all in there. They're saying, this didn't make sense to us. We didn't get it either. We didn't believe it either. When the women came to us and they told us that he was risen, we're like, huh, what? No, you, what? No. They didn't get it. When the women themselves saw Jesus rise from the dead, they thought he was a gardener. They, the, the people, they're like, this was crazy for us too. But here's what happened. We're going to pass it down. And then the people that had it passed it down to us. This is an amazing book. And for all will go in with humble hearts and eyes wide open. It can change your life. On Thursday, I'm reading cover to cover again, and on Thursday I was in Second Chronicles. Here's a condensed version of one person, one person who did just that. A guy named Josiah. He was a king. And he became king at what age? How old was he? He became king. Eight years old, in part because there was a real messed up situation back then. People had rejected God. The Bible that they had at the time, the holy words of God, were no longer being read. In fact, they were kind of lost. So Josiah becomes his king at eight years old. But look what he does when he turns 16. When he's 16, in the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek the God of David, his father. So he's seeking God. He's seeking God. He's seeking God. And in the 18th year of his reign, a priest found the holy books. He found the holy word of God that was given through Moses. And, and a priest's secretary read it to the king. And this king who was seeking God, looking for God, searching for God, when he heard the words of this holy book, he tore his clothes. And, and over time, God began to speak to him. And he said to the king, because your heart was tender, because you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words, I've heard you, declares the Lord. And as a result of hearing and, and, and interacting with God through these, 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 these words and through his spirit, he makes a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, and perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. If you will sincerely go into the word, you're going to have an encounter with God. For some of you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start with an intellectual thing. For those of you who've never read the Bible before, get one of these. Get, get an ESV study Bible. Start reading it. Read one chapter and then read the notes. You are going to see stuff that, that's amazing. How, how one section connects with another section. How, how things that were said that they, these people shouldn't have known at the time. How archaeology backs this up. How amazing this is when you think of the original language. You're going to see things you've never seen. And the more you read it, you're also going to say, it's speaking to me. This, this, this thing is alive, this book. And there's others probably in this room too that are, that are kind of like the people of Israel. These holy words of God just kind of got lost somewhere along the way. They got, they got put on a shelf. Would you commit to taking them out of there? There's no one reading plan that fits everybody. In fact, I don't think there's any one reading plan that any one person should stay on. The, the Bible's too rich for that. But what reading plan are you on? 
Are you taking one passage and just reflecting on that passage throughout the week? Are you saying, I'm going to go cover to cover? Are you taking a whole book of the Bible and saying, I'm going to read this in one sitting? What are you doing with God's Word? Well, today before we have you leave and you start thinking state fair and back to school and all that kind of stuff, we're going to have you write something down. Make some kind of decision. So, uh, Jill, if you want to come up, she's going to play some stuff and meditation music here. And, and what I want you to do during that um, is in your notes, in your notes, there's a little section. Everybody find it right now. In your, your book, green sheet. Okay? Please, please do this. Please, in, I was going to say indulge me. Don't indulge me. Please do this. It's, it's for your own good. There's a little section, and how did I, I wrote it down? I said, what's my next step? I want you to take a moment here to write down a next step. If your next step is nothing, write it down. And then don't blame God ever for anything. Okay? I'm serious. Don't blame God ever for anything. He's telling you, you, you seek me, I can be found here. Okay? So if, if you're going to write nothing, write nothing, and, and then don't blame God ever for anything. But, but take a moment and think, what, what, what's my next step? Maybe you're a parent. Um, we have some, uh, in the back, I have some copies. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Maybe some of you who are parents want to pick one of those up. Um, if you, if you, uh, you can purchase one certainly online. Otherwise, you can, you can take one of those for free. Maybe your next step is, as a household, we're going to read together one of those little stories a night. As an individual, maybe it's, okay, right now, I'm going to find verses of hope, and I'm going to read one of them every day. For some of you that have never gone cover to cover, maybe you're going to say, I'm going to go cover to cover. Maybe some, let me just pray. Write something, okay? Let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, descend on us and speak to us. Would you give everybody in this room one thing? Would you give everyone, no matter how old they are, kids, adults, teens, give us one thing. One step that we can take that's going to help us engage in your word. And maybe that one step is talk to somebody who can help me know where to start. And then for some people it might be well, whatever it comes. Or give everybody something. And if they're not sure it's from you, just have them write something. Lord, as we order our lives around you, our lives become the lives we were meant to live. Thank you, Lord, for these words of life that you've given us, these words of insight, this, the, these things that can, can guide us to deep understandings of you and, and how life works. So, Lord, thank you for speaking to us. I pray you speak to us now as we write these things down, and we thank you that you go with us when we go from this place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Write something down. If you don't know what to go with, just pick something. Would you please stand as we close our service? Let me pray a blessing over you. Also, as you're going out, a couple quick reminders. Uh, reminder number one is that uh, next week when you come in, we're all going to be facing this way. Um, when you come in next week, as you're going through the service, we haven't had a chance to figure everything out. So let us know some things that would be helpful that we can keep making it better and better and better. Um, if you missed the member meeting, we have uh, some copies of the agenda right back there at the table. Feel free to pick one of those up. Um, it does say on page 8, I believe, a lot about this um, change that we're going to be making, but there's some other good stuff in there as well. All right, let's pray a blessing over us as we go forth. God, thank you that you want to bless us. Thank you that you gave us your word. Lord, I pray that you draw us into it and speak to us as, as we, we do. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. You can serve the Lord.